Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. St. John Henry Newman, Apostle to the Doubtful, by Mariel Trevor and Leonie Caldicott. The early years continued. Education and early years in the Anglican Church. St. John Henry was the eldest of six children and the leader in their games, writing plays for them to act. Their father was a banker, one of the rising middle class, and their mother, Jemima Fondrinier, was the daughter of a papermaker of Huguenot descent. After a happy childhood, Newman was sent to an enlightened private school at Ealing, where he did so well that he entered at Trinity College, Oxford, when he was only 16. Although, or perhaps because, he worked very hard, he did badly in his final examinations, but was able to stay on at the university to study for ordination because he had earlier won a college scholarship. In 1822, when he was just 21, he was elected a fellow of Oriel College, then the center of intellectual excellence. This gave him entrance to an academic career and a regular income, much needed, as Mr. Newman never recovered his position after his bankruptcy and died in 1824, leaving Newman responsible for finding a home for his brothers his mother and sisters, leaving Newman responsible for finding a home for his mother and sisters and for his brother Frank's education. Besides coaching Frank, he made some more money by taking other pupils. That year, Newman had been ordained deacon and took on an arduous curacy at St. Clement's on the edge of Oxford. That year, Newman had been ordained deacon and took on an arduous curacy at St. Clement's on the edge of Oxford. He was ordained a priest of the Church of England at Whitson, May 29, 1825. I was dedicating myself forever Consecrating myself to the service of Almighty God, he wrote many years later, correcting the impression that he was thinking about the apostolical succession at such a serious and sacred occasion. Nevertheless, he was revising and broadening his views on the church and discussing its present situation with his friends. And when, in 1828, he was made vicar of the University Church of St. Mary the Virgin, he gained a position of considerable influence in Oxford. The Catholic Revival, or Tractarian Movement, which got underway in 1833, was originally a protest against state interference in the church affairs. It was Newman who wrote the first Tracts for the Times, short and to the point. 
the church had been supported by the state. Should these secular advantages cease? On what must Christ's ministers depend? And he answered, Christ has not left his church without claim of its own upon the attention of men. Surely not. Hard master, he cannot be, to bid us oppose the world, yet give us no credentials for so doing. I fear we have neglected the real ground on which our authority is built, our apostolical descent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Angels of God, our guardians dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side, to light and guard, to rule in God. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, of mercy in us. St. Philip Mary, gentle guide of youth, patron of thy own, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If one is trying to follow the life of St. John Henry Newman, the year of his birth, 1801, is very useful for helping us remember precisely how old he is at any given moment. Because he's born in 1801, when we hear about some date in his life, 1822, 1824, 1825, the years he was ordained deacon and priest in the Anglican Church, when we hear those years, if we're trying to remember how old Newman is, all we have to do is subtract one. He's born in 1801, then 1822, he's 21, 24, he's 23, 1825, he's 24. So it's helpful for remembering his age when you hear these dates, these years, which can be somewhat confusing. Okay, so we're hearing about Newman's age when he's between the years 16 and more or less 27. And what's happening here? Well, several places need to be kept in mind in trying to understand Newman's life. First, Ealing, that private school he went to, that private school where he had that profound religious conversion to the existence of God and his own soul that private school where he had incredible religious influences from teachers when he was there for that summer when his dad went bankrupt. So the bankruptcy of his dad, his father's financial difficulties were part of the occasion for Newman's deeper conversion together with the sickness that he went through. See, Newman was very aware how difficult things in life can strip away obstacles to the real ascent to the presence of God, the real ascent to God himself. God can use these things to remove unnecessary things from our lives to help us realize what's real. So Ealing, then this brilliant young man, goes to Oxford when he's 16. He enters into the undergraduate, undergraduate college of Trinity. So there's two colleges at Oxford connected with Newman. Trinity, where he spent his first basically five years at Oxford, and then Oriel, 
those two colleges. Oriel is more or less where he went to graduate school, where he became a fellow, where he had a position until he resigned from the university close to his becoming a Catholic. Trinity and Oriel. Oriel was the intellectual center, the real place of serious intellectual work in Oxford, the time of Newman. Newman says that the common room where the fellows met stank of logic. It was real intellectual power houses at Oriel. But notice what happened with Newman. He finishes his undergrad. He's now taking his final examination, the examinations for which normally you are, give you your final degree, your final grade, a first or a second or a third. And Newman was known to be the most brilliant student. He studied so much. In fact, he studied so much for the final examinations, some points at up to 21 hours a day, that when he got to the actual examinations, he failed. And the only reason they gave him a passing mark was because they knew how intelligent he was, and so they gave him a, a just above the line mark. So Newman passes, and then people were shocked. This guy who didn't get a first, a really great grade, applied to the most prestigious college to be a fellow, Oriel. There were another round of examinations for that. And this time Newman learned his lesson. Earlier, when he finished his undergrad, he said he put intellectual excellence over moral. Intellectual excellence over moral. And for these other examinations, he did much better. And he was selected as an fellow at Oriel. And it's through Oriel that he met Keeble, it's through Oriel that he met many other people who led him to the Oxford movement, who led to this revival in the Church of England. And what were they trying to revive? The true nature of the church, an institution, a body, founded not by the state, but founded by Jesus Christ himself. And what is the basis of the authority of the ministers of the church? Again, not the state, not men, but this apostolic descent that somehow Christ had chosen men as the apostles, and they had chosen others. And there is this succession going down the centuries that Newman was trying to argue for as the guarantee of the authority of the Church of England. But if we don't have apostolic succession, what do we have? How do we claim authority unless we're rooted back to the apostles, back to Christ himself? This conviction would be part of what led Newman eventually to realize that there really is only one true fold of the Redeemer. There's really one place in the church where one finds the same church growing over the centuries, yes, like a seed into a tree, but there is one body which traces in an unbroken way with all the means of salvation, the fullness of the truth, the whole hierarchy that traces itself back to the apostles, and that's the Catholic Church. And Newman would always say that conversions to the Catholic faith maintain those convictions that one has, and those convictions that one has as they are pursued, those truths that one holds on to, 
lead one to the Catholic Church where we find their proper place. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.